0: So, we are uh, in the book of Ruth. We're actually coming to the last session in this book. We're in Ruth chapter 4. My name's Nathan. I'm married to Mandy. She's not here somewhere. Um, I'm on eldership in this church, and it's an amazing privilege to be a part of this church. And I'm sure this morning you get a glimpse of what God's using us for, and it really is a privilege to be a part of a church and just to see God at work um, through us and in our communities. So, I want to just reiterate, if this is the first time that you're here and you're listening to this series on the book of Ruth, I want to encourage you to go back and, and listen to the other sessions. It's been an amazing book. Um, my daughter's name is Ruth, so I'm, I'm a little bit biased, but it is an amazing book, and there's it's just stunning to see the book is full of just glimpses of um, the heart of God. It's like each priest, you just see a new facet of God's heart and God's care for His people. So, this morning we're coming to the resolution of the story, and we see God working out a resolution, and it, it kind of becomes fully revealed in this last section of uh, Ruth chapter 4. And. Uh, As we do that, I want to actually kind of let or encourage us to let the writer of the book lead us in how he, in kind of the direction that he takes the conclusion. And as we read it, you might, it might seem a little bit strange in the way that he um, leads us in this conclusion, but I want us to let the writer guide us there. And you would almost think, if you remember or you're familiar with the story of Ruth, uh, we, we looked at uh, the, the marriage of Ruth and Boaz last week. And, you know, as, as the story kind of begins to unfold from there, you kind of think it would be this fairy tale kind of uh, story. You know, they kind of drive away or trot away, I guess, on, on Camelback um, into the sunset. And it's this fairy tale kind of finish. And it is, in a way, something of that, but that's not really what the writer focuses on. And we see that in the last portion of chapter 4, which we'll be reading this morning, he spends only two verses in that in that chapter on, on, on the marriage of Ruth and Boaz and on the birth of Obed. And much of the rest of the chapter is focused on the implications that this new covenant and the birth had on Naomi. So we see that the book starts in fact with Naomi and kind of these circumstances which surrounded her and as we look to the end of the book we see again the writer focuses on Naomi and the redeemed circumstances which now surround her. So this is why I'm saying I think we need to let the writer lead us here and I feel like he's leading us towards Naomi and the implications for her. So. I basically want to do two things this morning. I want to zoom out a little bit, and we're actually going to, uh, more than focusing on the text in front of us, we're going to use it to zoom out and look at the, the book as a whole and see what God has been doing through the life of Naomi, and in fact, see how God's redemptive hand was at work um, through Naomi, and then the second thing I want to do is I want to zoom out a little bit further and see how God's working in the lives of Ruth and Naomi extended Uh, far beyond what they actually could have imagined. And I want to do this because as we see God working in the lives of Naomi and Ruth, we will see that God too works in our lives in the same way. I pray this morning that God would fill our hearts with hope as we face trials in our lives in a similar way that he did with Ruth and Naomi. So I'm going to pray for us quickly and then we're going to read the passage, Father God, uh, we come before you, humble before your word. What a privilege it is to sit under your word, King. I pray that the, the kind of uh, fumbling of my words, Father God, you would come and speak something uh, mighty and powerful and impactful in our hearts, Father God. I pray that you would fill your people this morning with hope in a God who's good, in a God who's with them amidst trials, in a God who is working things in their lives that they would not believe if they saw the full picture, we thank you for the book of Ruth, this opportunity as we look back into the lives of your people and see your hand working. We know, Father, that you are working in the same way in our own lives, King. So come and speak to us this morning, Father. So in <clears throat> Ruth chapter 4 and uh, from verse 13 to 22, and if you bi- have a Bible, will not you open it there, otherwise it should be up on the screen. So verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth into his home and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Then the woman of the town said, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age. For he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now at last, Naomi has a son again. And they named him Obed, and he became the father of Jesse, the grandfather of David. This is the genealogical record of their ancestor Perez. Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Amminadab, Amminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon was the father of Salmon, Salmon was the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed. Then we see Obed was the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. So we find ourselves again, we're at the resolution of the work that God was doing in the life of Ruth and Naomi, and this section actually forms part of the previous section of, of Ruth chapter 4. It's this, this, uh, the, the narrative of the redemptive work that God is working out in their lives, and uh, we saw beautifully as, as Sarah unpacked it for us, uh, Boaz is the kingsman redeemer, and this powerful picture of Jesus who is our kingsman redeemer, and, and this forms part of that. God is bringing in Boaz as the kingsman redeemer, and then the res- resolution begins to work its way out. But I want to remind us what they faced was uh, an end in the family line and in, in that time in Israel that was a great disgrace you know not to have a son and for your family line to be ended was a great disgrace and the great the kind of great need in the book as a whole is food and family it's like that's what they needed they needed food and they needed family and we see through boaz god had provided graciously he provided food and fr- protection for them but the provision of continued family um, still kind of hung in the balance. And as I said, there are a few ways that this you could direct this uh, preach and this passage. But as I was praying into, uh, through the text and looking in my own life and just some of the life of One Hope, um, I really <clears throat> felt to focus it on this, hope in the goodness of God amidst the trials of life hope in the goodness of God amidst the trials of life. And it was quite fascinating, even as we were praying before, uh, just seeing that the you know even in the, the kind of NGO space, there's a lot of trial. There's a lot of turmoil. There's a lot of heartache. And even this morning, um, as we've been worshiping, you see God bringing through, hey, there's this there's, there's trial and this hardship. Maybe people feel chained, and God is wanting to release them. So my prayer for this morning is that God's people would trust God's heart and his hands as he works out redemptive purpose in his life. God's people trust God's heart in his hands as he works out his, re- his redemptive purposes in their lives. So firstly let's zoom out to the book of Ruth as a whole and uh, I want us to look again in a way at the story with a focus on Naomi because I feel like this is where the the conclusion is focused. The writer is saying hey this is what it meant for Naomi. You know Ruth and Boaz kind of, in a way, get forgotten, and Naomi becomes the focus, and Obed is in her lap. So I want us to look again at the book through the through this lens. Um, But before I do that, I actually want us to bring us to a passage in Romans eight, and uh, it might seem strange, but the reason I'm doing this is because we see here a a promise of God. Paul the apostle raises up a promise of God for us in Romans chapter eight, which. Which I think is is revealed in, in kind of the fullness of its beauty in the life of Naomi. So Paul declares the promise of God in Romans 8, and we see it shown in the life of Ruth and Naomi thousands of years earlier. So Romans eight twenty-eight. It says, And we know that for those who love God all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers." So I want to just unpack a few things here. You see Paul's language, he starts off by saying, we know. It's not this, you know, we hope, or we think, or it might be, but we know that God works things for the good. And for me, this was deeply challenging. It was like, actually struck me. It's like, do I know? Do I know the goodness of God in that way? Like, we know God works all things for the good. And I know in my life, I sometimes struggle to know That God will work things for good. And I'm sure Naomi, if you think about Naomi in in Ruth chapter 1, I'm sure she struggled with this. Like obviously she didn't have the writings of Paul. She wasn't reading this passage and thinking like, oh, I struggle with this. But as I was reading this, I was asking myself, do you think Naomi trusted the heart of God in the trials that she faced? So Paul says we know, and I pray this morning that he would build up our faith to know as we look at the life of Naomi. Paul then goes in to describe who the promise belongs to. It belongs to believers, it belongs to those who love God and who are called by Him. And this is important. Paul is saying it is to no one else that this promise is for, it is only the children of God that receive this special kind of goodness. Um, that he promises. And and yes, there is a general goodness that God gives in all the earth. We see in Matthew 5, Jesus says that the rain comes down on both the just and the unjust. So there is a kind of general goodness of God. But this specific goodness, where God promises to work all things for our good, is only for his children. And then Paul goes on to say that the goodness is accomplished according to his purposes. And uh, as I was thinking about this, I think this is for me, some of the power of the book of Ruth. You know, the book of Ruth is similar to, if you're familiar with the story of Joseph, it's similar in that way, is that we kind of get a glimpse into the revealed purposes of God in the lives of his people. And in fact, it's quite an amazing opportunity. You know, it's, it's, it's quite an amazing opportunity to look back at the workings of God in history. And we see this powerful thing as we look at the promise that Paul's lifting up for us and saying, God is good. In all that he does and he will do good for you and we look back at the story of naomi and we can actually say yes he was good he was good to her so i want us as we move on just to hold up this promise in our in our in our hands and almost use it as a lens through which we look at the story of naomi to see god working good in the life of naomi and and yes this is a promise in the new testament but it's it's also a glimpse of the unchanged love and the unchanged heart of god at in display so let's look at the story. At the beginning of the story, we see Naomi led by her husband, Elimelech, into the land of Moab. And if you've been part of this um, series, you're like, jeez, I've heard this many, many times, but I want to just remind us. And uh, Elimelech rejects God and rejects God's people. He, he goes in search of food uh, because there was a famine in the land. He seeks refuge in another land with another people. We then see that Elimelech dies and his two sons die. Naomi is left without a husband, without her sons, and she's left with two daughters-in-law. Naomi then hears that bread is back in the house of bread. Bethlehem means the house of bread. So bread bread is back in the house of bread and she wants to return. But as she returns, she encourages her daughters-in-law to stay. And it's interesting when you kind of see her language there, is that she says, like, basically she's saying, if you want a family, stay here. Like, stay in Moab. There's no hope for you with me, and there's no hope for you in the land of Israel. If you want uh, provision and you want a family, stay here. And it's interesting because we see that in her sorrow, she, in a way, sees no way for God to provide for them if they remain with her. That in her sorrow she's blind to the possibilities of God and you'll see later you know this this idea of the kingsman redeemer comes up but in that moment there was there was there was a blindness in her sorrow to the possibilities of God and perhaps she knew about this idea of a kingsman redeemer but you know in her sorrow and in this trial that she faced she struggled to believe in the goodness of God it's like that that's possible but God wouldn't do it for me I mean look how he's dealt with me look how harsh he has been with me. And uh, as I uh, read about this, I think it's just, it's amazing to think there's so much connection that I feel sometimes with what Naomi felt, you know, those spaces where you're like, God can't turn this for good, you know, this is just, there's there's despair that surrounds me and and Naomi is blinded to that. And we even see that she's blind to the grace of God and the goodness of God as he provides uh, Ruth. You see, this powerful thing of the way that Ruth makes this covenant love with Naomi, and even in that, she's blind to the goodness of God in it. So Ruth clings to her, and they return to Israel, and you see uh, the other woman in Israel saying, like, is this Naomi? Could it be? Like, could she really be back? And Naomi responds, don't, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara, which means bitter. And she goes on to declare how God has dealt harshly with her. God has been bitter. With her, and it was, I'm sure, in that moment, it, is, uh, it was very hard for Naomi to see the goodness of God. It's like, don't, don't call me sweet, call me bitter. The Lord has dealt harshly with me. She says that she, in a way, she went with her family in search of food to the land of Moab, and the Lord has brought her back, still in search of food, but with no family. Don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. The Lord has dealt harshly with me. And as I look at the life of Naomi, I see a lot of myself in there. You know, it's like sometimes, yes, doubting the goodness of God. Like, Lord, this situation, I can't see that there's any kind of, I can't see your hand in this situation. It seems like you're just dealing harshly with me or bitterly with me. And I'm sure there are many of us who feel that same way. It's like, where's your goodness, Lord? I don't see your goodness here. All I see is. Tragedy and suffering. But <clears throat> Naomi, amidst her sin and rejection, God has been gracious to her. And we see these glimpses of God's grace, even in the covenant love of Ruth to her. And as the story progresses, we see in, in chapter 3, Naomi begins to kind of start to see, oh, maybe God is at work here. You know, she hears about Boaz and she says to, um, to Ruth, oh, this is one of our closest kingsmen redeemer. And she starts to see some of the work of God. Later, she even um, encourages, um, encourages Ruth and, and, and kind of fills her with faith and, faith and says, you know, Boaz won't leave us until this is, is resolved. And slowly, her, her mind begins to change and she sees some of God. But I want to just read a psalm for us, uh, which I think can give, get us, give us a glimpse of perhaps what she felt in this time you know she's le- she's left with family in search of food she's come back her father's dead her two sons have died she feels like god is nowhere to be seen god's hand isn't on this and we see uh, david expressing something similar in psalm 13 he says how long o lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long must i take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him, lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. And I'm sure in that moment Naomi felt a little bit like this, like, Lord, where, where are you? You know, my husband's died, my two sons have died. I can't see any way you can turn this situation for good. And I want to encourage you, just put yourself in that story. You know, Naomi, your husband's died, your two sons have died. Could you trust in the faithfulness of God in that moment? And yet we begin to see that God in his providence works out something that she could have never have imagined. And the story goes on, and we see in, in kind of Ruth chapter four, there's this moment where, uh, it's, it's the moment of the Kingsman Redeemer, and there's opportunity for Boaz to marry Ruth, and yet there's some other guy, the unnamed man. And, uh, it's fascinating as you read the story, because it's, it's, it's kind of leading you towards Boaz. You know, all lines are leading towards Boaz and the marriage of Ruth and Boaz, and yet we see this moment, which, as you read it, it kind of passes quickly, but I'm sure in the time, it was probably quite a weighty thing that had landed when this unnamed man kind of says, "Yes, I will." You know, I will redeem her. You know, and Boaz is basically saying to her, "You're the closest kinsman redeemer. He has Ruth. He has the land. Like you can redeem them." And this man says, "Yes." And I'm sure in that moment, it's almost like if you could have looked into the mind of Naomi, it's like, "What, Lord?" You know, like. Everything's leading to Boaz and now this man puts up his hand and like he's 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 wanting to redeem her and I thought you were going to lead us there and as I was thinking about this I was thinking about our own lives you know when God you feel like God's clearly leading you in one direction and then suddenly it's like Lord what are you doing here I thought if you if you said I should go here if you should if you said I should move here you promised to do this and this and this and suddenly it doesn't look like you fulfilling your promises. But I want to encourage us this morning that God is at work in our lives. It might not be linear, you know, like a progressive type of thing, but God is at work. And then we see as it develops, Boaz goes on and he says to this unnamed man, if you do want to redeem them, you have to marry Ruth, the Moabite woman. And the man responds, "Then I can't." And Boaz, in the striking moment, then steps up and redeems him. This is the widowed Moabite woman and her mother-in-law. I will redeem them. And we saw, as as Sarah uh, described last week, that it was a great cost that Boaz redeemed him. The stunning moment as God works out His redemptive purposes in their lives. And I'm sure Naomi, who was previously blind to the goodness of God, suddenly now could see, wow, God is being good in my life. And yet we see that Naomi and, and Ruth still faced a problem. Remember, the, the two big problems is food and family. God had provided food, but could He provide family? And it's, it's like without a kind of Understanding the context here, it might seem a bit strange, you know, like in our context, you get married, you have kids, it's like pretty straightforward. So there they get married, and you would think, for us, it's easy to think like, oh, well, you know, they're just going to have kids. But actually, uh, if if we remember, Ruth was barren for 10 years. She was married to her husband, Marlon, and they never had kids for 10 years. She was barren for 10 years. And Boaz, as we understand it, is quite an old man, so the the kind of natural response would actually be doubt. It's like, okay, they they got married, but there's still a problem here. Like, Ruth's barren. You're like, how are we going to get family here? And in the time of the Israelites, uh, like having a child, conception wasn't taken for granted. It was always seen as a gift of God. So God had provided food, but could he provide family. Without family, how would their provision be secure? Just think about it. You know, Boaz can provide for him but for them, but he's quite an old man, so his provision is going to end at some point, and Ruth is going to outlive it, and then the land's going to inevitably be, be taken into some other family. So how is this provision going to be sustained? God had provided food, but could he provide family? And we see in verse thirteen just this stunning picture of the goodness and the redemptive work of God. And it's it's quite Amazing to think that in, in the entire book of Ruth, there are only two places where God is mentioned directly. And verse 13 is the second place. The first one is in, in chapter 1, verse 20, where Naomi says, basically, you know, God has dealt harshly with me. You know, that's the first time God is mentioned. And the second time is here in verse 13. And it says, so Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant. The Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. So it's this profound moment of God bringing life from barrenness. This barren woman, her barrenness is broken by God, and she's able to have a son, and it's the fullness of the revealed purposes of God in their lives that this boy, Obed, which You know, when I initially read this, I felt like this is kind of insignificant, you know, a bit of a a letdown and a conclusion. But actually, this boy, Obed, as the woman prayed, would be the redeemer uh, for Naomi and Ruth and the family line of Elimelech. That through Obed, they would have sustained protection and provision. And it's amazing to see that in the goodness of God, amidst, amidst the sin of Elimelech and the sons, God brought Naomi and Ruth back into the promised land. He provided a redeemer for them through through Boaz. And now through Obed, he's provided sustained provision for them. Sustained provision of food and sustained family. So I find the story of Ruth and Naomi so encouraging because we see the heart of God at work in the lives of his people. And I find it so encouraging because as I look at the story and I think, Wow, this is the way God works in their lives. Surely he should be working in my life too, and he is. And I find it so encouraging because these stories bring passages, you know, the the great theology of Romans 8.28 to life in saying that God truly is good to his people in all that they face. And I find it encouraging because when you come to the end of Ruth 4, you cannot help but declare that God is always working for the good Of those who are called according to his purposes that god is so blatantly working out a redemptive work in the life of ruth and naomi we see this powerful picture of death to life curse to blessing barrenness to fullness bitterness to happiness and despair to hope And as I look at this book, I feel encouraged to trust in God amidst the worst circumstances that we can face. Like, think about Naomi's circumstance. Your husband's dead, your two sons have died. And I find as we look at this book and the fullness of what God has done through their lives, I find that we can trust God in that kind of circumstance, because look at what he's going to do in the end. Charles Spurgeon says, when we cannot trace his hand... Trust his heart. When we cannot trace his hand, trust his heart. And the profound thing about the book of Ruth is that we get to trace his hand. We actually see the heart of God at play as it's working out his redemptive purposes in their lives. And again, if it was true of Naomi and her life, it is true of us in our own lives. That God is working out his redemptive purposes in our lives. If you're sitting here this morning and you're struggling to believe in the goodness of God, know that God is working His redemptive purposes in your life. And the story kind of begins to end. And uh, I was thinking about this idea of, you know, when you, you've watched a movie. I couldn't think of a good movie. Um, it normally happens in like Marvel movies, but I don't know them very well. Um, and you're like watching the movie, and the story ends, and then like you begin to leave. But people who know what's happening, they sit down because they know something's coming. And uh, the credits begin to roll, and then suddenly there's a scene at the end, and, and you sit there like, What? Like, that's what really happened? Like, maybe somebody died, and now you found out that they didn't, or some, it's like leading to the next movie. And um, I kind of felt like this is a little bit what's happening here um, at the end of the book of Ruth. And I want to read from verse 16. It says, Naomi took the baby. And cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbour woman said, "Now at last Naomi has a son again," and they named him Obed. And look at verse seventeen b. It's almost as if these are the credits rolling, and this scene pops up. He became the father of Jesse, and the grandfather of David. Obed, the, the son of a Moabite woman. The grandson of Elimelech, remember Elimelech, he fled from the promised land in sin and rejection of God's kingship of his life. He fled. He fled from the promised land. And this boy, Obed, is the grandfather of King David. It's like, what? You know, I thought there was just it was just a boy being born to this granny, you know, in Israel. But actually God is doing something quite profound as he, he provides Obed to be the great sorry, to be the grandfather of King. David, and we see the answers to the woman's prayer. You'll see as Obed was born, the Israelite woman prayed that his name would be renowned in Israel. And as we look at the end of this book, we see that truly his name is renowned in Israel. As God didn't just provide for them in like, here's your family line, but actually he wrapped them into the royal line of David. A royal line which would never end. And in verse 18 it goes on. It says, this is the genealogical record of the ancestor Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz. And Boaz was the father of Obed. Obed, the father of Jesse. Jesse, the father of David. And it can be easy for us, you know, when you read genealogies to be like, okay, let's just skip to the, the good stuff. Um, but actually it's quite amazing when we look at a, at a genealogy, we see that God is showing his grace and his wisdom. In this instance, is bringing kind of through Elimelech, uh, in Elimelech's family, through Obed, he's bringing them into the royal family line which led to David. And it's interesting when you... Uh, I want to take us to Matthew 1 because uh, Matthew actually kind of finishes and extends this genealogy for us and as we do that we'll see that God was at work in something far beyond what we ever could have thought so I'm gonna read from verse 5 and uh, it's basically starting where we left off in the book of Ruth and it says and Solomon the father of Boaz by Rahab and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. And I'm going to paraphrase here um, because it's quite lengthy and wish me luck with the names. And uh, Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. And then we see Ab- Abijah, Asaph, Jehoshaphat, Juram, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, Manasseh, Amos, Josiah, Jeconiah, Shealtiel, Zerubbabel, Abiud, Eliakim, Azar, and then verse fifteen, verse 14, sorry, we pick it up and it says, And Azar the father of Zadok, and Zadok the father of Achim, and Achim the father of Eliud, and Eliud the father of Eleazar, and Eleazar the father of Methan, and Methan the father of Jacob. And look at verse 16. Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. So we see this the credits begin to roll, and this boy Obed doesn't look like a random child, you know, in the arms of his granny. We see in fact the boy Obed is the great 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 grandfather of Jesus. So Naomi, who sat there with a lap full of blessing in a way, had no idea that the kind of blessing that she held in her lap, for from his line would come the Saviour of the world. We see then that Obed's line didn't just lead to the great King David, in fact it led to the far greater King Jesus. And one writer puts it like this, he says God's hand is all over history. God works out his purposes generation after generation. Limited as we are to one lifetime, each of us sees so little of what happens. A genealogy is a striking way of bringing before us the continuity of God's purpose through the ages. The process of history is not haphazard. There is purpose in it all, and the purpose is the purpose of God. So we see the workings of God in the life of Naomi. A miraculous birth of Obed looks forward to another miraculous birth which is not uh, a miracle of barrenness, but a miracle with a a virgin woman named Mary. And it's fascinating to see that the the woman Mary would give birth to a boy, Jesus, who would be born in the same town that Obed was born, in Bethlehem. And much like uh, uh, his ancestor Obed, his inheritance wouldn't come from his biological father. It's this fascinating thing where we see that actually uh, the inheritance and the line goes through Boaz into Obed and then goes further on. And the same is with Jesus, that actually it runs through Joseph. His adopted father is the line through which he becomes heir to the promise. We see Jesus, like Obed, is the hoped for future heir, the future redeemer, and the restorer of life. It's fascinating to see that God is faithful to his redemptive plan, and it's, as we look at these genealogies, we get to see a glimpse of the faithfulness of God extending from generation to generation. And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about our own lives and thinking, you know, imagine we could see the credits of our lives begin to roll, and what kind of redemptive purposes of God would be revealed? We would see that God truly is good in all that he does, as he works out his redemptive plans in our own lives. So I want to take us um, just to a passage in Romans 9, and we see Paul uh, connecting the story of Obed and the story of Jesus to our story, connecting their lineage to our lineage, that we, like Obed, remember Obed wasn't uh, of the people of God initially, you know, with, through Ruth. She was a Moabite woman, And God brought them into His family. So Romans nine six to eight, and uh, this passage is basically, or Romans nine is kind of on the on the sovereign choice of God for His people. Uh, But from verse six, it says, "But it is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all who are children of Abraham because they are his offspring." But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means, verse 8, that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of promise are counted as offspring. So we see, in a way, the pinnacle of the goodness of God in the gospel, that we too can be children of promise and be counted in the offspring, that we in Christ are children of the promise, brought into the family of God, upon which his blessing dwells. That Jesus, the boy born to Mary, would one day die and rise again so that we might become children of God. We see in this the fullness of the redemptive work at play, even as as Naomi held Obed. It's like, no, Obed's Obed's line is going to lead to this Messiah. And this Messiah is then going to extend the family of God into all people. And the work that he's going to do is going to enable us to be reborn into his own family. So in the book of Ruth, we see that God is good in all that he does. God truly is good in all that he does. We see the faithfulness of God at play in the life of Naomi. We see this is God's response to our cry and Naomi's cry, I'm sure, for his goodness. Remember in Ruth chapter 1, I'm sure Naomi cried, like, God, you're not being good in this situation. Like, where is your goodness? And I'm sure there's circumstances in our own lives where we face that. And say, Father, I can't see your goodness. Like, I can't see you turning this thing for good. I know you say it, like I know Paul says that, but I can't see it... Happening in my life. And I felt in a sense as I was preparing. God saying something like this. "Is like my child. You wrestle and you toil for temporal goodness. You wrestle and you toil for temporal goodness. But I fight for your eternal good. And I have through Jesus won your eternal joy. Trust my heart and my redemptive work in your life. God responds to Naomi in Ruth chapter 1, you know, if he, if he was speaking to her, it's like, trust in my hearts, I will do you good. And she sees it in Ruth chapter 4, that God is good in her life. And I want to encourage us here this morning, trust in the heart of God and his redemptive plan in your life. Look at the goodness of God in the gospel. You know, what could ever be better than what Paul has described in Romans 9? That we too are included into the family of God. I want to take us back to Psalm 13. And if you remember the beginning, you see David in great despair, praying to God, saying, where are you, Lord? This feels hopeless. And I feel like that is similar to where Naomi would have been. In Ruth chapter one. It's like Where are you, God? Where are you, Lord? You know, my my, my my husband has died, my two sons have died, where are you, Lord? And look at David's kind of response out in verse five. He says, But I have trusted in your steadfast love. I've trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Another translation says, because he has been good to me. We see David there amidst desperate situations. He's saying, Father, this is hard, but I trust in you. I know you're going to be steadfast. I know you're going to show love to me. I know eventually you're going to show goodness to me. So, Father God, we thank you just for this a powerful moment as we come to your word and we look at an overview of the book of Ruth and we see in the life of Naomi uh, a desperation to hope death to life emptiness to fullness and father i pray that you would help us encourage us fill us with hope in your goodness this morning king as we some of us might be in very difficult circumstances blinded by sorrow to your workings Father and I pray that you would remind us as we look back at your faithfulness in the life of Naomi that truly you will be faithful in our own lives that Father you promise goodness through Paul in the book of Romans you show us goodness through the life of Naomi and I pray that we would be encouraged and filled with hope that you too Will be good in our lives encourage us as we look at at naomi and the the amazing redemptive work that you did in her life through obed and we look at the, at the history that has shifted and changed and the son that you brought jesus who would come and redeem mankind i pray too that we would be encouraged that in our lives, you're working out redemptive purposes that we would not believe if we, couldn't, if we could see them. Fill us with hope this morning in your goodness, Father. That you are good, no matter what we faith. That your love is steadfast. And that you have been good to us, Father. In Jesus, you have shown us the ultimates and the fullness of goodness. Grace and love poured out onto us freely. Remind us of your goodness this morning, Father.